Every bad story has a beginning, middle, and end, right? It's bad, still beginning, middle, and end. Every good or great story has a beginning that draws you in, just kind of captivates you. You wonder, what, in the, what is going to happen here? How is this all going to work out? And it has this middle where you're wondering, and there's some tension and some pressure and some things happen, and it can be very dark, and you're just curious. And then you get to the end of that good book or that great movie, and you say, oh, oh my gosh. That is amazing how that, how that whole thing ended. Welcome. Monday, Thursday service, 2017 here at Perimeter Church. For some of you, I know it's your first time. I've talked to some of you. For some of you, you've been celebrating Monday, Thursday for 30, 40, or maybe even 50 years. Our hope tonight is this. We want you to leave here having hope, and we want you to know and remember and recall what's happened. We're going to share the story with you again. But primarily, the, the culmination of that is that you have been invited to his table. You've been invited to the supper tonight. I said in the first service, I, I don't know how many more of these on this earth I'll have celebrating, but I know tonight we'll celebrate with the king. It's a table, right? It's two women. It's two women put food on a table and they wait. You've been invited to the table tonight. It's the table of the king. He has set it for you. And he's waited for you to come to this very moment. You know, statistics show that 60% of meals in America are eaten alone. People just eat by themselves. But not tonight. Tonight, you're feasting with the king, and we're feasting with one another. Now, to get us in the mood, we need some help. We're going to ask the Spirit if he would further open our hearts, our minds, and our very lives to what he would have for us to hear tonight. Our God, we are, as we just reflect upon that right now, that we can say to the Creator, to the Sustainer, to the Redeemer, here's our heart, Lord, take and seal it, and you receive our prayer. Wow, to think about that. That as we are talking to the God of the universe right now, that Lord, even though we're prone to wonder, we thank you for that, that you take our hearts. And so God, take our hearts for this next hour. Take our hearts as we pray, as we sing, as we hear your word, as we take your table. Take our hearts, Lord, for your glory and your praise. And so God, come thou fount of every blessing. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's um, Randy mentioned story. And so, you know, as, as I thought about that, you know, here's my heart, Lord, take and see there's a There's a story there. There's a story for each person in this room. It's kind of a corporate story and it's an individual story that we have. We're part of his story. We're a part of his story, as the scripture says, from the foundations of the world. In space and time, we understand, as it says in the Bible, in the, in the first book of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then it says that he created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And he created them in a perfect paradise and gave them certain commands. And one of the commands was, you're free to eat from any tree in this garden, but don't, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when the day you eat of it, 
you will surely die. They disobeyed. We know that story. It's called the fall. And sin comes in the world. Death is a result. And God's plan, almost immediately, seems to be to establish an arrangement of rescue, of salvation, of redemption. Genesis 3.15. That God's going to provide that. God's going to do it. And he will do it through a redeemer. And this redemption is called the covenant of grace. God makes a covenant, an eternal covenant with us. And he's saying, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. But redemption doesn't come immediately. We have to wait on that. And so what does he do? He reveals himself to a man, Abraham. And he promises him a nation. He promises him descendants. He promises him blessing. He promised that, that, that his descendants will be a blessing to the nations, to all peoples. And this will come through Abraham's seed. Abraham believes God, as it says in Genesis fifteen six, and God credits him as righteousness. So he becomes the father of the Hebrew people. And we learn in the New Testament that those people are the people of faith. Those who express their faith in Messiah or Redeemer to come, and we who express our faith in Messiah or Redeemer who has come. But the promises to Abraham are passed down to his descendants. And God says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Yet, they continue to wait on their Redeemer. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? Just right down the line. And all of a sudden, our people found themselves in Egypt. You know the story. It was a, not a good situation for them to find themselves in, but they did. God raises up a deliverer, Moses, to go and speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And in the midst of all that, you know about all the plagues and all those things that happened there. But on one very special night, the night that this night is rooted in, the Lord creates the Passover. And that Passover meal was celebrated generation after generation after generation until our Lord came. The text says this, In days to come, when your son asks you, or your daughter, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So in the 12th chapter of Exodus, the Passover is instituted and it happens like this. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. No foreigner may eat it, but the whole community must celebrate it. And indeed they did for generation after generation after generation. And after that, the Lord set them free. The Israelites live and they go into the promised land. You, many of you are familiar with the story. And 
there's a period in which they're ruled by judges or military rulers anywhere from 350 to 400 years. You remember those people? Remember Gideon? Remember Samson? Jephthah? Hey, by the way, be encouraged. In, in uh, Hebrews 11, sometimes referred to as a hall of fame of faith, Samson's in there. There's hope for all of us. If Samson made the cut, we can make the cut. But they insist on establishing a monarchy. It's like, we want to be like all the other nations. We want, a, we want a king like all the other nations. God wants to be his king, but God allows them. This is kind of the tension in Scripture, that God allows them to have human kings. And we see those. We see Saul. We see David. We see Solomon. Not perfect people. But God promises. God gives, makes a covenant with David to let him know that there will be one of his descendants who will be on the throne forever. And we know him as our Savior. Well, what happens? After Solomon, the kingdom is divided. The monarchy is divided. We have a northern kingdom. We have a southern kingdom. And because of ongoing accumulating sin in the northern kingdom, God sends the Assyrians, uh, people that are, are northeast of of the northern kingdom of what is called Israel. He sends the Assyrians and they conquer them and scatter the, the Israelites in the northern kingdom. About 150 years later, God sends the Babylonians in and they conquer Jerusalem. And again, because of accumulating sin, and they destroy Jerusalem and they take many of the people into captivity. Still, and you, you know, it feels kind of hopeless. It feels really hopeless. But the Lord says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, that God is the God of hope. So it's about 70 years later, and Persia defeats Babylon. Babylon had defeated Assyria, but now Persia is the major kingdom, and they defeat Babylon. Who had, and the king of Persia allows the Israelites to, to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, to, to rebuild the temple, to restore ceremonial worship. <coughs> and it's about 50,000 people initially. And so what happens here is that it's about 400 years now before we're going to see Jesus Christ. They're waiting. They're waiting for their Messiah. And in the meantime, what happens? Persia falls to Greece. And Greece, in turn, falls to Rome. And the people are asking, will the Redeemer come? When's the Redeemer coming? Can he come? Will he come? So I want to tell you, the Lord did not, did not just speak to me. So be clear about that. He did not. In the first service, he did, though. Because when we're singing that song, I'm thinking, we're waiting here for you, Lord. We're waiting here for you to come back to make all things right, aren't we? Aren't we waiting? That's what we're doing. You're waiting for your next meal, your next raise, your next date, your next whatever. But the big thing you're waiting for is for him to come back and to make all things right. And I said, Lord, these people, we're waiting for you to come. Would you come back? And he said, you know, I tasted death for my people. 
I died on the cross for my people. And all of them haven't, haven't been awakened by the Spirit yet. There are some living right now, as a matter of fact, who have not received the Spirit to know that they've been saved. And, and I'm waiting on that to happen. And I'm waiting on the church, maybe, to, to come alongside and participate in that. So he wasn't talking to you. He was talking to me specifically about that issue. Waiting on him. And he's waiting, waiting, saying that the church can, can move forward and share the good news of the gospel. So 400 years, Bob said, of silence. Nothing going on other than people waiting. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens. You know the story, many of you, better than I do. What happens? Jesus comes. God sent his only son. So if I asked, if I asked Chip Sweeney, what happened in Bethlehem? What would you say? The birth. He's, he's born in Bethlehem. And if I asked Dan Case, where, like, where was he? What happened in Nazareth? He, he, was, he was raised there. And if I said, Trey, tell us the part about he's with a Samaritan woman or in this Nicodemus guy, and he's sharing a story and he's telling, and I could go over and over again to those of you who I know, tell me a piece of the story, a part of the story when Jesus was here. There was this Zacchaeus guy, and there's this group of 12 guys, and fishes are being multiplied, and, and loaves are being multiplied, and miraculous things are happening, and the blind are receiving sight, and the lame are walking, and people are being restored. Even Lazarus comes back from the dead. Great things are happening, and Jesus is telling the truth over and over and over again. He's saying, there's only one way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the authorities had enough of it, didn't they? They said, this guy is going to take our power away. We're going to take his power away before he makes an end to us. And so he goes on and on, and he heads towards Jerusalem, knowing what's about to transpire. We just celebrated it on Sunday, didn't we? Palm Sunday. He comes in riding on the donkey, accolades of the crowd, knowing it's the same group that's going to be shouting crucify him later in the week. But he comes into town and he wants to have this meal. This meal they've been, they've been, they've been celebrating for generation after generation after generation with his friends, his very, very closest friends. He said, I'm going to take the Passover meal with you. And that's what we're remembering tonight. It's that night, it's that meal that we're celebrating, that we're remembering the Apostle John records, he says this, he says, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. And then he said this, and I quote, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's the commandment, love one another as I have loved you. You ought to wash one another's feet. Now that word ought there in Greek is not like if I said to, 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 again to, to Dan and Sandy Case that hey, we ought to go to dinner sometime. We really, really should go to dinner sometime. That, that would be really fun. If I said to Ed, hey, we ought to go to a baseball game some point in time. It's a Coleman. We, we should get breakfast sometime. We, we, we ought to do that. It's not that at all. It's not what we should kind of maybe should maybe do. The, the word ought there is this. The word ought is ophilo in Greek. Ophilo. It has a strong certainty to it. It means this. It's the same word, by the way, 
that's used in 1 John 2, 6, where, where he says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's the same word in 1 John four eleven. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's a strong word. It means this, ophilo. It means figuratively to be under obligation that we must, that we're bound that we're indebted, actually, that it's a duty. So read it again. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you have a duty, an obligation, a debt. We just sang it. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. We're in debt to be able to fulfill the commandment. And consistently, I see in my life, failed, flunk, didn't do a good job, didn't really, I, I didn't ought I ought to ought to, but I didn't ought. I didn't do it. So before we come to his table, it's freely given to those who are in Jesus. We want to take some time. Bob's going to lead us in a time of confession. Just this whole idea of thinking, oh, I really should love other people. I ought to do that. I'm indebted to do that. I'm commanded to do that. And yet I haven't. I failed. I have not done that. And it's okay. We're going to walk through that. But Bob's going to lead us in a time of confession. And then we'll come to the table. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we we are aware, maybe some of us more than others, about how pitiful our love can be at times. Lord, how we, we don't love, we don't love you. We don't love our neighbor. We recognize that. And so we just want to pause right now in the silence of our hearts, confess ways in which we've not loved. Maybe those that we live in the same house with, maybe our neighbor across the street, maybe someone we work with, a stranger, someone in this church. We want to confess that to you silently in our hearts, Lord. Hear our prayer. Our God, you have called us to love one another, but often we have been judgmental and critical. You have called us, Lord to not return insult for insult, but we have had the attitude at times, maybe they deserve it. You've called us to bear one another's burdens, but maybe it's too messy and we don't want to get involved. You've called us to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the hurting, and we're too busy. And you've called us to go and bless the nations and proclaim the love of Jesus. And we resist it because it makes us uncomfortable. God, we, we see the weakness of our love. But Lord, you, you tell us to look to Christ. And so God, we do that now and we thank you for that. We thank you for the redemption that is in him. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you 
in many ways, so many ways that we, we see every day how we fail. And yet, God, you died for that on the cross. And so thank you that we are forgiven of sins past, present, and sins yet to be committed. We are forgiven. And that has nothing to do with us. It's everything to do with you, Lord, and we praise you for that. We honor you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I was sitting there thinking that, and here it is, is that sense of being aware of your sin, you're looking, you're sort of looking inward. But it's almost like God says, don't stay there. Look, look to my son. Look to the Savior. And that's what we do. Uh, some of you, sometimes you're in the chapel, you get my love sometimes. And uh, one of my loves is the Heidelberg Catechism. And so I'd like for us to repeat this together if we could I'll read the the question and then if we could read the answer is a way just to testify of the wonderful wonderful love of God and the fact of his plan and purpose uh, in our lives I'll read the question after which we will read together the answer what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Great, great truths. As we now come to the table, uh, a time where we spiritually uh, feed upon our Savior. It's a means of grace. Uh, a sacra- this is a sacrament, and a sacrament is a, is a holy ordinance. It's instituted by our Lord. And the sacrament basically, through visible signs, in this case the bread, the juice, through visible signs, Christ is represented. You know, his benefits are sealed and applied to us. It's an amazing thing that God has given us to be able to remember, but also, not just remember, But also, he tells us that this is a participation, this is a fellowship meal. And the Holy Spirit is at work. And so, uh, it is a means of grace where he gives us his grace through this meal as we express that in faith to him. As we take the table tonight, this is for those of you who express faith in Jesus Christ and are members of his church that preaches the gospel. It doesn't have to be here. It may be at another church. But, uh, you know, and often I get asked this, why, do, why does it you have to be a member of the church? And I think that, not just I, I mean, I think this is what Scripture would teach us, that if you are a follower of Christ, you're engaged with his people. It's not a lone ranger Christianity. It, 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 you don't get to choose. It's a package deal. And so... 
This is, this is the reality that we have as we take this together, members of his, of his body. Just look at that. It's our one defense. He's our righteousness. It's, a, it's about him. You know, as I was sitting there, I was, uh, I was convicted that, that uh, I think there's times that I can be judgmental uh, and critical. As I sit there, as I was sitting there setting the table up and thinking about how people, there are certain people that maybe want to take the table or are not members of a church who love the Lord legitimately. And they may say, well, I'm not engaged somewhere. And I, and I thought, sometimes I can be sort of coarse and harsh about that. I have strong feelings about things. And uh, God keeps coming back and saying, love people, love people, love people. And I, I'm reminded every day how I fail, but thank you that our Savior doesn't, right? Amen. I'm going to ask the elders come forward now as you will get the elements, and as I do, hear the words of institution. On the night our Lord was betrayed, the scripture says that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, it says he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Think about that. We've been talking about redemption. Go ahead, Sam. We've been talking about redemption. Uh, We've been singing about it. Uh, We've been praying about it. And now we get to take the table where we proclaim it as we come forward and we take the table. I am 100% convinced of this, 100%. My older brother, Sam Kaywood, who is here, over here, I won't point him out, don't raise your hand, Sam Kaywood, not a wealthy, wealthy man, but not doing too bad, not a wealthy man, but not doing too bad. If I asked him, Sam, would you buy a loaf of bread, the best French baguette, and a good bottle of wine, and give to everyone here, if they would take it to their next door neighbor, and meet their next door neighbor, and get to know them, and share good bread, and good wine. Sam would say, absolutely, I would do that. Our older brother Jesus has given you what you need. What does the world need now? Love, Love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. And he has given you the love. You have the love of Jesus. He's better than a best bottle of wine Sam K was going to buy you or bread. You have the love of Jesus. He's calling you now to go. Share it with those around you. Text somebody, call somebody. This is the weekend that spiritually weird, strange, odd things can happen. They may come tomorrow to Good Friday service. They may come Sunday to our Easter service here. They may just come over and have dinner. Who knows what they'll do, but go. Go now. Share the good news. Receive now this benediction. It comes from the Lord from the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant he brought back from the dead, Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, might he be the one to equip you this weekend with everything good for doing his will. And might he work in all of us, whatever is good and pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to him be the power and the glory and the majesty, both now and forevermore. Turn, greet those around you, and then have a great, great Easter weekend.